Get him. Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast is presented by Mossy Oak Camouflage because everything is better in Bottomland. And Lucky Duck Premium Decoys, Masters of Deception. Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. What's up, buddy? Man, I think we have a really special one today. I do too. I've been fired up about this one for a minute. Yeah? Shot Goblin on it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just, you know... Not not so much in a in a super super like excited way. Just like I feel like there's some gravity in the conversation little, that we're yeah, about to have. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that combined with we were supposed to have this conversation last Wednesday, and Nab Holtz Construction texted me at nine o'clock at night and was like, "Hey, we've got your CNC machines. We're gonna have them there in the morning at eight. And I was like, "Oh!" So like on the same day, I was supposed to record a podcast with, and with then the I stole the board, and then yeah. <laughs> But here we are, so yeah. you want to talk, kind of introduce the our guest yeah. here and what yeah. we're going to be talking about? Man, our guest is quite possibly the, you know, the prominent. I don't what's the right word, but the 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 one of the leading voices in mm-hmm. in wild turkey research, Doctor yeah. Mike Chamberlain. Um, if you're not following Mike Chamberlain's Instagram page and reading Turkey Tuesdays, you probably don't care about wild turkeys. I mean, <laughs> or don't have a social media account one. That one. Well, the number of times he posts something like like roost locations for gobblers and, yeah. and all those things, and my jaw just hits the table. Yeah. Or the number of people that I see him, and I'm like, hey, check this out for your property. Yep. Or do, do, are you seeing this? And yep. it's that discussion. But. Yep. And, and in our generation, I mean, I, I, I will say that, you know, I think that Dr. Chamberlain is going to be one of those people that, when historians look back, you know, when wildlife historians look back in a hundred years, Dr. Chamberlain has participated. I, I assume he's leading the, the the conversation, but he has significantly contributed to a change of direction in the conversation when it comes mm-hmm. to turkeys. One with the decline question or the conversation of decline in numbers, but also just with regard to the conversation about dominance, um, you know, Dr. Chamberlain was one of the first people that I heard talking about, you know, not shooting the strutter. Yeah. I mean, and, and I grew up watching outdoor TV and, you know, two birds come in and you tell the cameraman, hey, stay on the strutter, stay on the strutter, stay on the strutter. Yeah. Make I'm sure the, the strutter. Make sure you know, the decoy is in the field. If you yeah. Know, for a longer I mean, for <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I can just say honestly and openly, he was the first person I heard talking about that. And yeah. the first time I thought about, huh. What happens when I shoot the dominant bird versus when I shoot the, yeah. you know, another one, you know? So, and and, there, and there's tons of other stuff he's studied. I'm not at all trying to just peg him on that, right, right. But but, but that's one of those topics, and there've been others that just kind of I felt like the little emoji with the mind blown, you know? <laughs> um, definitely things you just didn't think about. He'll and definitely so, get you thinking. Um, you know, with all that being said, I I think we should call him. Um, he's waiting on us, and really appreciate him giving us his time. I know that there's a gazillion things pulling, you know, on his, uh, his schedule all the time. So, yeah. All right. Let's get him called up. Let's do it. 
Well, Mike, thanks for talking to us. Um, for those of you listening, we've got Mike Chamberlain on the line, and uh, you're probably very familiar with his Turkey Tuesdays and a lot of the insights and stuff that your studies and um, reports and I don't even know what the right word for all that is, just massive knowledge about the wild turkey. <laughs> thanks for joining us, Mike. I know you're busy. Not a problem. Not a problem. It's good to be with you all. Yeah. Well, um I guess just kind of from a high level, you know, there's so much being said and written and, you know, there's so much scuttle, I guess, around. What's your opinion on just overall, like, is there a decline in the turkey population or we, you know, that that word, the you know, the, the population is declining. What's your opinion? Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that? Oh, there's no question. Um, there's no question that, in parts of the, most of the southeast, parts of the east, uh, even into the parts of the northeast and midwest, um, you know, all signs point to declines in many areas. Um, we've documented regional declines in, in productivity, meaning the number of young turkeys that are being produced. Those declines have been ongoing for more than a decade now. Um, in all indices to you know, abundance seem to be declining. Observations are declining. In many states, harvest has declined, and and you kind of put all the numbers together, and, and it points to, you know, birds are struggling in some areas, and um, and although not in, not in all areas, I mean, there are parts of the U.S. that, you know, have robust populations, but particularly in the southeast, um, the decline is pretty obvious. Yeah, that was going to be my my follow-up question is, other than the southeast, are there other particular areas that you, in your opinion, are uh, really struggling more than others? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you just look at the recent changes that agencies have made in, in hunting regulations in response to, you know, obvious declines, I mean, you've got Oklahoma, you've got Kansas, um, you know, Nebraska's concerned about what appears to be ongoing declines in numerous areas of that state to the degree that uh, we have a research project starting up um, through the University of Nebraska, and I'm actually a collaborator on that starting next year. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of states. Kentucky, you know, have seen pretty dramatic declines. If you look at the spring harvest in Missouri and Kentucky this year, it's, it was the worst you know harvest in many, many years. So it's not just a southeast, you know, problem it, it's extended into other areas of the country yeah I've, i'm hearing the same things too and i had a conversation the other day that, that made me wonder i almost second guessed myself like is the population really declining or is it just that i'm hearing people talk about it but anecdotally it feels like it's declining to me you know just based on where i go and see turkeys and you know just my own observation i guess um, oh there's, yeah no question me me too I mean, the places that I visit routinely and the areas that I go to and the people I talk to, you know, I, I, I didn't talk to a single person this spring on my travels that said the population was better. I mm-hmm. mean, every person I spoke with, every landowner, every game warden, everybody was like, you know, we're, we're just not seeing the number of birds that we, mm-hmm. or we're not hearing the number of birds that we've heard. And, you know, we're not killing as many birds as we've killed. I, I that was pretty uniform to the person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this may be kind of stating the obvious, but your your clear thought process is that there's a less numbers of turkeys, not 
some situation where turkeys have gotten smarter or gobbling less or something like that, and so we're just not seeing and hearing them. You think there's actually less wild turkeys alive? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, we and we we have data showing that you know that that birds do respond to hunting pressure and mm-hmm. hunting activity, and they change their behavior. But if you look at, I mean, if you just look at the indices we use to predict our population, such as production. You know, we've had declining production in, in many, many states for years. And, you know, what, you, what you're seeing is poult per hen ratio is well below two, which is considered to be the minimum to sustain a population. It's two poults per hen. And, and in many states, like here in Georgia, we've been below two poults per hen for years. So... You know, all wow. evidence suggests in many, many areas that our populations have been in a in a in a state of decline for quite some time. When you, when you say two poults per hen to sustain a population, what assumptions does that make about hunting? It's it's not really about hunting per se. It's just more about you know for for a hen to replace herself with okay. a fifty fifty sex ratio, she would need to produce two poults per hen. I got you. Um, so that's really about all it, it's focused on. And, and when you say production, you're not literally talking about two eggs laid. You're talking about two live turkeys that survive, what, their first six months or something? Yeah, that, that basically that the the ratio of poults observed, you know, mid-summer, mm-hmm. which is when a lot of states do, you know, look at their brood surveys, the number of of juvenile turkeys to mm-hmm. adult turkeys is, is at least two to one. Okay. Basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so within this realm of declining population, what I'm observing, I'm sure you're observing the same thing, but there are discussions all over the World Wide web that seem to have reached fever pitch about everybody's opinion on <laughs> the decline, both the, the declining population, how to fix it, and then what the root cause is. And, I, you know, maybe the most intense, most um, fierce debate about that has been regarding fanning. Are, are you seeing that same thing online? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see the, I see the social media posts, and I, I get tagged on them, and whether I like it or not. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it it's a divisive polarizing issue. And, you know, I, I will just, this is my opinion on, on the, on the discussion, but if Turkey populations were what they were in the 1990s, probably this would not be getting the fanfare it's getting, but, Mm -hmm. but we're not there and we're never going to be there again. And, um, and that causes people to start pointing fingers when things get, bad you know i mean when mm-hmm. people see a problem they start trying to identify solutions and, and those solutions sometimes are you know i'll point a finger at what you're doing or what someone else is doing and say well that's the problem mm-hmm. um and that's what i see i see a lot of finger pointing and a lot of divisiveness on this issue and more so than than other issues which is sure which is i, I guess is in many ways is a is sad because, um, like you say, it has reached such a fever pitch. Mm-hmm. One thing I know about life is that I enjoy pointing fingers a whole lot more than I do having fingers pointed at me. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, yeah. which I think just increases the intensity of that debate because it seems like everybody's opinion is indicting somebody, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, you really can't. 
<laughs> you know, if you're on one side, you're making somebody mad. And if you're on the other side, uh, you make another side mad. And if you ride the fence, you, you get accused of being, you know, of that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, take like a side, right? Yeah, yeah, you got to take a side. Like, well, well, hold on now, you know. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things, Mike, that you've made um, common discussion topics that I didn't used to hear being discussed was your um, work on dominance. Will you kind of explain the pecking order of the flock, the dominance? You know that the whole. Sure. The, sure. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we've known for, for decades that turkeys have pecking orders or dominance hierarchies, and um, if you raise turkeys, you see it when they hatch, and those those hierarchies dictate their lives from the time they're hatched till the day they die. Um, within these groups of birds that we see, there are dominant birds, and then there are birds that are subordinate to them. Um, it's been described to me by an, an earlier researcher that used to imprint birds that it was like a ladder. So basically, you had a dominant bird, you had a second, a third, and so on and so forth. And, and if you if you spend enough time watching turkeys, I mean, guys, y'all know this. I mean, you see them. You know, hens have their own pecking orders. Toms have their own pecking orders. And these groups of jakes that we see, they have their own pecking orders where you know, somebody runs the show and, and the others are constantly challenging them to see if they can ascend up the ladder. And, and it usually results in getting their tails kicked, you know, and, and that's why turkeys fight all the time. They, they're, they're constantly bickering with each other. And, and, you know, when we see these birds and, and they're calm in the winter and they're just hanging around together, you know, under the surface are these hierarchies that, that are influencing their behavior. It influences what they eat. It influences who mates. Um, so we've known these these hierarchies exist, and they're important because the dominant birds within turkey populations are the are the breeders. So the dominant toms are the the primary breeders in a population. Within hen flocks, we know that the dominant hen breeds first. Um, we know that top or higher ranked hens are going to breed earlier, and we also know from years and years of science that earlier nests are more successful. So the bottom line is the dominant individuals in population are really important for breeding and for reproduction. Um, and that's the way it's been and that's how they structure themselves. And so as we go into populations and we, we remove individuals, then we kind of shift these pecking orders and they sort themselves back out. And by next spring, you know, everything's sorted back out. Um, and that's why when you, you know, if you've ever shot a bird that has a partner with him or, uh, you know, or two or three birds together, they'll often attack that bird that goes down. That's their immediate reaction to <laughs> somebody that's in my, in my hierarchy is down and I'm going to take this opportunity to, to keep him down, if you will. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why they, that's why they do that. So do do we know anything about the time frame it takes for that new, like if a like if a dominant hen gets hit by a car, do we have any idea how long it takes for the next hen, or or the same for a gobbler? Like, yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't, and and there seems to be you know quite a bit of variation, and I suspect this is just speculation on my part that it that it depends a lot on how many toms are around. 
Um, you know, if you, if you only, if you have a, a relatively small number of toms in that group, you know, it may not take long for somebody to get sorted out and, and become dominant over whoever's around them. Um, but what, what Bill, who imprinted birds years ago, what he explained to me was that, you know, when he watched birds in, in captivity, when a dominant bird was, was challenged or removed, the other birds broke the, the hierarchy apart and then they reassembled it. So it wasn't just two moves up to one. It was three fights, two and four fights, two and, and they sort themselves out, and so it was basically uh, so think, chaos. I mean, or, or yeah, yeah, like for a free for all until everybody's sorted back out. Yeah, yeah, and and we don't know how long that takes. It um, in in other studies and other species that have a mating system like turkeys, um, it it took a varying amount of time. There's been some work on like prairie chickens, for instance, where they went in and they they removed dominant birds from from breeding populations and and it was kind of chaos it was kind of haywire for a while and and ultimately they sorted things back out and but meanwhile some of the hens kind of slowed down if you will because the dominant birds disappeared and they needed to go back through and identify who the most fit males were around them so that they could breed so it kind of in that study it kind of slowed reproduction down a little bit and the same has been shown in other species that, that mate like turkeys, which like fallow deer. They use the same mating system that turkeys use. Hmm. So, so it, we know that dominance matters, and it doesn't just matter, you know, mating. It matters, you know, food acquisition. It, it, it matters throughout all the aspects of their life. So it goes, I mean, it makes sense that it would influence their breeding, um, and that's what you see in the spring when you when you see these you know these fights and these things that are going on. It's because of those pecking orders. And and the peck so the pecking order is. Um, I mean, is it is it too is it dumbing it down too much to just say that that's nature's way of passing on, you know, survival of the fittest, the best genetics. I mean, is that really what what's oh, going absolutely. on? Yeah, I mean, their research has shown on turkeys has shown clearly that. The dominant birds, these were, you know, wild birds in captivity. You know, socially dominant birds have lower parasite load. They have more iridescence. They are showier. Um, they're more aggressive. And that makes sense. If you if you are a hen and you're looking to, to breed and be successful, you want to pick the best male out there. And the best male out there is the socially dominant male because he's kicked everybody else's ass and and he's he's aggressive, he's showier, he's brighter, and he's more fit. So it, it makes sense that she would want to, you know, those hens would want to breed with him. Is is do you as far as hens go, when you have one of those hunts where you yelp and a hen just all of a sudden just blows up and starts cutting hard and, and yelping and comes marching in really pissed off, you know what you would say we pissed a hen off. Do you think yeah. that's probably the dominant hen? I think in many cases, it's, I don't know, but I think what's going on in almost all of those scenarios is that bird doesn't know who you, who okay. you are, doesn't recognize you and is pissed off that somebody she There's doesn't new, recognize. Yeah. Like yep. step in line, yep. basically find your spot exactly. in the flock. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know who you are, but I didn't, you weren't here yesterday and well, you need, you need to get yourself in check kind of thing. So, yeah. so as a scientist, 
I know this is a very leading question, so I'm sorry this is going to sound like an attorney in a court of law. But <laughs> as, as a scientist, if you had the ability, like let's just say in a vacuum, you had your farm and you're hunting your flock of turkeys and, and you're in the quintessential American, like nothing you do there affects, you know, anybody else. It just affects your flock. If you had the ability to identify your dominant number one Tom and your dominant number one hen, would you identify them and make sure that they were protected more than everybody else? Well, I wouldn't be able to protect the hen because there's too many things after her. But if if I know, and, I, and I'm not saying this to say it, I can give you people's <laughs> names that have hunted with me that have watched me do this. If I can in any way identify the socially dominant bird in a group, I will go to all lengths not to kill him. Wow. Um, I've shot numerous birds with guys and told them, you know, and, and have been asked, why did you shoot that bird? The two strutters were, I'm like, because of that reason, because mm-hmm. he was clearly not involved in displaying. He wasn't gobbling. He wasn't aggressive. You know, all things being equal, I don't care what his beard length is. and I don't care what his fur length is. I've already won the game at that point. Mm-hmm. So I've gotten the show I wanted and, I'm going to kill the bird, but I'm not going. If I have any inkling that I'm sh- the dominant bird is standing there, I'm not shooting him personally. And and I didn't use I didn't used to be like that. Frankly, I, you know, this has been something that's changed in me in the past decade or so. Um, the more I've learned about this bird and other animals that behave like it, the more I've changed the way I I do business. And and. Would you, I mean, it was that a combination of both what you've learned from your studies, but also in light of decline? Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think. I guess what I'm saying it. is, were you thinking that, were you, were you thinking this eight years ago as decline was not really a hot topic and like you think it more now or. Yes. I, yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, a decade ago. You know, we saw this coming. We've seen it. We've been watching it. Researchers, people like me have been seeing it. We've been talking about it for a decade. Wow. Uh, I, I have, I've given talks, I've given seminars, I've written papers, I've given presentations to commissions and to bio, biological staff starting in 2012 about this. And it in 2015, we actually gave a number of, of presentations saying we got a problem folks like if you're in the southeast we have a problem and it didn't it didn't really resonate with people and and suddenly you know here in 2021 22 a lot of people realize that we have a problem and and part of that i think is just awareness it's just you know being able to listen to podcasts or being able to talk to more people or engage online and people that otherwise maybe had thought you know Damn, I'm not seeing as many turkeys. I wonder what the deal is. Now suddenly they're engaged because they realize there's 10,000 other people, you know, in their community. They're seeing the same thing, and and therefore this awareness creates concern, and this concern creates these types of divisive issues like you know, the mm-hmm. reaping and fanning argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So um, that's so fascinating to me. I I'm, cannot even imagine how bizarre the looks you got were in 2015 when you were telling everybody that there's a, a population problem i mean because 
Yeah. For where yeah, we're sitting I mean, today, I felt like 2015. I mean, I know it wasn't the glory years, but it, it certainly felt like there were a lot more turkeys then than there are now. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. The problem then was that the discussions that were being had were being had primarily in the scientific and biological mm. communities. Um, you know, I didn't even have, I had a Facebook account in 2015 and that's it. And I didn't post anything about research. I didn't post anything about, I didn't, I didn't do anything on social media, but post pictures of my kids and stuff I'd shot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fast forward to 2022 and there's so much more information out there. And, you know, the bottom line is if, if I had taken the information in 2015 and started disseminating it out there, I would have had a bunch of people that told me I was absolutely insane, mm-hmm. but I, but I would have had some people that it would have said then, you know what? I see the same thing. Mm-hmm. I see the exact same thing, um, in states like Arkansas and Louisiana. Um, I promise you people would, there would have been people that would have said, you know what, mm-hmm. that, that makes sense because I'm not seeing birds anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're just kind of late in the game, and it took it. I think personally, it took the popularity of social media that exploded. You know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, Instagram, and mm-hmm. the use of Twitter and and you know TikTok and YouTube and all these things that are now out there that allow us to communicate with each other. It took that those platforms for a lot of people to to realize, oh yeah, I'm seeing the same thing. You know. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to lead you into or or invite you, beg you <laughs> into the discussion about decoys and fanning. And before we do that, I just wanted to ask one more question about, you know, the dominant bird discussion. The what happens so if if bird if gobbler won the dominant bird and dominant hen, it, i guess what you're saying is that they're they're always trying to hook up. Are the are the lower birds also breeding just not as often or breeding you know what i'm saying like what happens mm-hmm, to the yeah. to the middle part of the pack are they also breeding yep um some are and some are not what there was some research done years ago looking at at basically testosterone levels and fertility levels in in birds and what you see is in when the dominant bird is present and he's still there his aggressiveness and behavior suppresses testosterone and other toms that are around him. Wow. So, so when he's removed, you would think, well, the other two, you know, the other birds, two, three, five, whatever's there, they'll just immediately increase their testosterone levels and, and they'll become breeders. And what the research showed was that's not the case. And in reality, even in his absence, some of those lower ranking toms did not become breeders that spring. Um, and you know, we see this, if you think carefully about your hunting career, you see this, you, you see, you know, a pair of toms that are by themselves, they never associate with hens or a, a singleton that's out there by himself mm-hmm. or he's hanging or he's hanging around with a bunch of jakes. Uh, I had that happen this year. I, I killed a bird in Florida that, that, um, he was actually hanging around with jakes. And I could not figure out why until I talked to the landowner. And he said, oh, yeah, there's three toms that are 
in that area and they're huge they're they're monsters and they you know every time they're around those jakes they pummel them so this guy i'm I'm guessing had just gotten tired of getting his tail handed to him so he was walking around with six jakes Hmm. um you know that that bird is not a breeder in fact when you know when i cleaned that bird his his testes were so small that i don't think there's any way he could have fertilized the clutch so, so we know that dominance, you know, again, it influences all aspects of their, of their life. So that's – pause there for just a second because that's just mind-blowing. So there's a portion of the male population of flock that doesn't breed at all. Yes, yes. Hmm. I guess I just had the yep. illusion that as soon as the dominant bird was out of the way, the other birds would just jump in there immediately, kind of like what you're talking about or – you know, you hear anecdotally about birds and trees not gobbling as much, and there's just one gobbler, mm-hmm. and then that gobbler gets killed, and the other ones start. Anyway, yeah, yeah, and you know, we, I'm I'm guessing that in some situations that does occur, mm-hmm. that it's very that it's very rapid process. Um, we just don't know. Yeah, you know? the point and, you're and making I, is like, that we don't know what the time period is right. for the restructure yeah, yeah. of the dominance. Yeah, wow. yeah, we don't know, and and you know it. I think logically, I think most people would agree that there's, there's no template. There's no cookbook for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it probably varies in every group of toms, I would think. I mean, there, there has to be things like body condition and density and environment and food quality. I mean, all these things would have to factor into that because what dictates dominance is partially their aggressiveness and their body size and you know, these things that are influenced by condition. It's just, I think it's just so complex, we'll never really know. So how does this, you know, this is the hot button question that if anybody's listening has probably been wanting to hear you say at this point or express your opinion on, but how does this discussion about dominance apply to fans, strutter decoys, I mean, male decoys in general? Like, mm-hmm. and what can you say there? Yeah, um... Well, I can I can kind of offer two perspectives. You know, I look at this as a hunter in one vein, and I look at it as a scientist in another vein. And the science side of it, and, and this people just I'm sure just you know cuss me for this, but we don't know from a science perspective, we don't know what effect these tools have on on harvest. The bottom line is for it to matter at a, at the level at which I think about turkeys population level it the only way it could matter is if it does two things if it increases the harvest rate which would be the percentage of toms that are killed and if it changes the timing of that harvest to where socially dominant birds are killed earlier or that otherwise would not have died if all that it you check all that off and say, yep, we're killing more toms because of this. We are killing toms earlier because of this, and we are killing the best toms because of this. As a scientist, that's that's what I want to know. And in the absence of that, when somebody asks me, you know, what effect does it have on a population, I have to say what is the honest truth. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. And And getting the answer is hard. That's a tough topic to get at because you really need, if you ask hunters, they're going to lie to you. <laughs> you know, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to lie. You know, <laughs> uh, you know we're, we're, we're going to fib. So you're, you're not going to be able to do human 
dimension survey type work and get a really good, you know, data set out of this. What you really need in an ideal world is experimentation. You need to go in and you need to identify dominant birds and you need to target them. And that, that is an impossibly complex study for, for the eastern subspecies and, and the Osceolas. You, you really need to be able to observe birds. So you, you kind of would have to push this to a, a Rio Merriam's Goulds study mm. and getting enough data would take years um, to, to have rigorous data. So it's a hard question to answer scientifically. Mm-hmm. I think anecdotally, um, I think there are a lot of us who have, have hunted, have, have done this long enough that we have our opinions about what it does. And I'm no, you know, I have my own opinions as well. You know, I look at this and I'm going to take my science hat and just take it off. And now you're asking Mike, the turkey hunter, I have been on, on birds. I have been in scenarios where had that fan not been used, I wholeheartedly would tell you 100% that those, that bird or those birds or whatever would not have died that day. Would they have died the next day? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I fanned a bird one time and, and I did it and I felt at the end of the hunt, I felt like I had cheated him. That that's my opinion. You, nobody has to share it. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I, it. It was a rush to see the bird react the way it did. But at the end, I I thought I felt like I had taken a shortcut, if you will, and I just it just didn't resonate with me. Mm-hmm. So so I moved on, and you know I, I'm not criticizing anybody that does it. I'm just I just choose not to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I've I've talked to people. I've I, I've tended to go away from the hardcore turkey hunters because, like we've talked about, there's so much division around this topic. Mm-hmm. You either you either like it or you hate it. It seems it's you know, and if you take a middle ground, you get criticized for that. So I've tried to ask outfitters. Um, I've talked to people that that are responsible for a lot of turkeys being harvested. You know, not Spence or Mike, but you know they see dozens of birds shot every year. And I've asked a number of them, some of which I've hunted with, and some I just know. And last year I started asking several of these folks, hey, if you wouldn't, if you don't mind, just kind of keep a mental running note of what percentage of birds that your clients kill are killed behind a fan. And, you know, just give me your thoughts. Would they, you know, were these situations where it was the last resort? Was it a situation where the hunter, that's just what the hunter chose to do? You, you see what I'm saying? Like, try to mm-hmm. try to get some more information about, give me some more. And and some of the answers I got was, uh, I, I had one outfitter that his clients kill about 60 to 80 birds a year. And the number he's texted me said, I can assure you that 25% of the birds that my clients killed would not have been died, you know, wouldn't have been killed that day. The fan was a last resort and it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, does that bird die the next day? If he does, and did that matter? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I had other outfitters that told me, 
you know, almost every time the fan comes out, the bird dies type of thing. I, I had one outfitter who I, I know well, he he goes with his clients and he, you know, and, and he fans routinely. And his opinion is, you know, if I got a bird that's hung up or I got a bird that's being a problem, I'll, I'll kill him with mm-hmm. that fan. You know, I and if he, sometimes they'll run the other way and, but a lot of times if I'm on a bird that's really being a, a pain and he's hung up and he's got hens with him or whatever, I can kill him with that fan. Mm-hmm. That's just what, what, you know, what people have passed along to me. Uh, again, I was a one and done guy, so I don't have these experiences on my own in the field. Just what, you know, mm-hmm. just what I'm told. Mm-hmm. I've definitely killed more than one um, with it and I can, I resonate with everything that's being said right there. I mean, I've seen all that, you know, myself anecdotally. Um, in your opinion, is is when when the fan gets pulled out and used, do you think that it increases the likelihood of the dominant gobbler dying? I, I, I think that's a plausible hypothesis. And I'm, I'm not trying to be coy and step sure. around the question. Um, I think that's a plausible hypothesis because if you've fanned and you've watched the reaction of birds, um, the reason they're coming to that fan is because of dominance. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're not coming running over there to that bird to have a party and smoke cigars. Right. <laughs> they're, they're coming over there to beat somebody's ass. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the bottom line. So does it likely target disproportionately target aggressive birds i think logically yes i mean i maybe i'm looking at it wrong but logically i would say yes that if you've got aggressive birds that are out there and they see that fan they're more likely to react to it and you know the reason they react to that fan is simple if you watch birds from the time they're two days old they strut Mm -hmm. that that i mean they don't even have a tail you know, when they're three or four days old, <laughs> but they'll throw those, they'll throw those little, you know, quills up and you, you know, I was just, I got my hair cut this morning and the lady that cuts my hair has two turkeys that she's raising. And, and we were sitting there talking, <laughs> that, really, we were sitting there talking. I, there's about a lot of things truck. I like about you, Mike, but that might be my most favorite fact about yeah. you. <laughs> Your hair lady's got wild turkeys in her backyard. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. No, she was just explaining. She was, she was asking me. She was like, so what are they doing when they're – and basically what she was describing to me is, you know, you got these tiny poults that are wing-flailing each other, and but they're not really hitting each other. They're they're mocking right. wing-flails. They're mm-hmm. strutting for each other. Uh, one of them is squatting for the other one like a receptive hen, and then the other one does it. So and, – and that's because turkeys – when they're young, both sexes engage in behavior of both sexes. I mm. mean, they, mm. they all do the same things. And that fan is a universally important part of their communication. When you watch hens strut, they're exhibiting dominance. When you watch toms strut around each other, <laughs> they, if they're not comfortable strutting, they don't strut. Well, what does that tell you? If they throw that fan up, they're signaling that they're part of the game. And, yeah. When they don't, I mean, you've, we've all seen this. You watch a group of toms, and there's one or two, and they are not going to strut. They'll, they'll think about it a few times, mm-hmm. 
come in a half strut and then all of a sudden they're like, Ooh, nope, not doing that. Well, mm-hmm. that's because that fan means business, you know, mm-hmm. and, and when you see it's kind a, of like you know, not making eye contact with the big biker with the big tattoos at the bar giant arms exactly. at the bar like. well yeah well watch like you've probably seen this too like watch a watch a bird come into decoys particularly hens and they will go over and head peck and they will they will try to get the bird to look them in the eye they'll turn their head they'll mm-hmm. neck crane they'll mm-hmm. try to get the bird to but of course, the decoy can't do that because it's it, it's not alive. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll figure out a way to try to make eye contact because they're just waiting for that eye contact to attack. And you see this with you see this with toms that come in to, to Jake decoys. And I'll, I'll give you a scenario that was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Um, this just happened a few weeks ago, and I videoed it actually. So I'm sitting with a guy. I had never met this guy before. We became great friends at, at a camp. Um, wonderful man, and his dad was wonderful. Anyway, we're, I'm tagged out. So I've, I've killed two birds in South Dakota, and I'm just hanging out. I'm calling and, and hunting and having fun with no gun. And we had these three toms come in, and we were we were kind of cutting them off. We They were not playing nice, so we were, we were basically getting where they wanted to be, we thought. And it worked. And these three birds come around the corner, and I say, you know, here they come. And they had gobbled at us when we called, and they were close. I said, here they come. And, and I told them, I said, the third bird is the biggest bird, um, beard-wise. I couldn't obviously see spurs. but So anyway, they come around the corner, and he shoots the, you know, shoots the bird at the back. They have no hens or nothing, you know, anything with them. Shoots the bird at the back. The other two, one of them runs off. The other one, of course, goes into a full attack mode, and he – but instead of just attacking the bird on the ground, he copulated with it. And what do you mean by that act- word? He bred with it. Okay. He 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 behaved as if that was a squatted hen, mm-hmm. not oh, a, wow. not a tom. And he did it repeatedly, and he treaded on it on his back just like uh-huh. he would a hen uh-huh. to the point where he you can hear in the video of my friends say, "Damn, he's going to tear all the feathers out of my bird." <laughs> Um, and after about a minute and a half of doing that, he actually laid down on the bird and put his head down on the other bird's head as if he were sleeping. He did that twice. And as he, he's trying everything he can to get a reaction out of this bird. And the bird of course can't react because he's dead. Right. Finally, the bird gets on top of the, the bird, starts breeding him for the third time. And he sees he sees something out of the corner of his eye. He he turns and looks at us. And I'm not exaggerating. I, I'm not going to disseminate this video entirely, but I am going to post a piece of it. His snood, I promise you, was eight inches long. Wow! It I've never seen anything like it. And just evaporated. Head, <laughs> it 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 was it was literally hanging down so far. He turned and looked at us. And the look in his eye was the most evil look I've ever seen in a turkey's eye. He was absolutely livid. And his head was changing color so rapidly that you can hear me in the video say, damn, look at his, you know, look at his caruncles, his, you know, his waddles. Mm-hmm. Now look at the top of his head. Look at the back of his head. I mean, he is literally, he's livid. He's absolutely livid. 
and he can't get a reaction out of that bird. What what more would you do to your buddy than stand over him like a squatted hen and breed him and head peck him and lay down on him? I mean, this bird was trying everything he could to get this, this Tom to, to fight with him. Mm-hmm. And, and we finally had to get up and just stand up for him to walk off. He was not going to leave. He was going to stand there and finish that fight. Wow. Because in his mind, that dominance was it's so important to him that it was worth him standing there as long as it took. Hmm. Um, so anyway, that there's a scenario showing you know how a bird reacts when when another bird goes down, and and I think from the fanning perspective, when some of these toms see that fan, it as we you know we see this on social media and everybody talks about it, it, it does it triggers in some birds it triggers a reaction. Mm-hmm that is visceral it you know it it's dictated their entire life and when they see it they're they're reacting to it they're not thinking about the reaction they just react to it Mm -hmm. and that's different i think i think that's different than say a hen decoy you know a a hen decoy is you know there's a there's a hen standing there how how a bird reacts to that is I've, in my experience, is dramatically different than how they act if there's a, a strutter decoy there or if there's a Jake decoy there or whatever. I think the problem we get into when we talk about things like this is that we have to ask ourselves how slippery a slope are we willing to get on? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you have this, this fanning and reaping debate, but you also have, you know, you also have a lot of people using male decoys mm-hmm. and and they elicit a reaction mm-hmm. like i just said in my experience yep. is far different than a, a, a hen decoy reaction and so i hear people saying when well, you know you just do you and i'll do me and and i get that perspective because we've got all these techniques and tools available to us you know who's to say that this is wrong when we have these other things that that are also potentially influencing harvest. Mm-hmm. I think I think the slope gets so slippery that we have to be careful as a group because what I see happening right now is I see people being so divisive that they're making the line drawn that you're either with us or you're not, or you either do it or you don't do it. But if you don't do it, leave us the hell alone. Mm-hmm. And, all that does is undermine us. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't help us as turkey hunters a bit, and I'll promise you it doesn't help the resource. <laughs> so I, I kind of step back and, you know, I offer my perspective like I just did. People will disagree with me, and that's fine. People mm-hmm. can disagree. I disagree with a lot of things that people say, and, and I don't have a problem Still with existing with them. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I disagree with things all the time about how other people behave. And you know what? That's my right. And it's just, just like they're, it's their right to, to behave the way they are as long as they're doing, you know, a behavior that's legal. So, you know, that's the slippery slope I see. And, and unfortunately, guys, I just, I hate it because it doesn't help turkeys at all. Mm-hmm. It, it just, creates a bunch of divisiveness and a bunch of rhetoric and it gets people mad and and we point fingers at each other and then you know the debate will this will all subside here in another month you know turkey season will be over (laughs) and y'all know this and you know 
we'll be bitching about deer spinning wing, spinning wing decoys, Mike. We <laughs> yeah. go back to spinners. <laughs> yeah, so so there, there's a good example. So you know, the duck hunting world got in front of that quick. You know, mojos came out and duck. You know, what was it? Uh, Robo duck. Mm-hmm. Um, those things came out, and there were there were some agencies that immediately tackled that research mm-hmm. question. They jumped right on it and said, all right, what effect does it have? Well, go, go figure. It influenced the, the harvest of juveniles. Right. Well, go figure. They'd never seen this thing before. And, you know, and, and I can remember going out there with a, you know, with a spinner and just, it was silly. Mm-hmm. And, and now I think the last hunt I went on, I had six of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I had to laugh. I was like, I literally, it looks like a ticket parade out mm-hmm. here. And I almost feel, I sometimes I don't even, I sit there and think about it. I'm like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, well, why are you doing this? And it's because, well, you know, it's an available tool and it's, it seems to be effective sometimes. Although I've, I'm in the duck hunting world, I'm, I'm starting to doubt it with some of the adults we have now, but, um, but you know the duck hunting world got out in front of that, and mm-hmm. we've been we've been slow to do that in the turkey hunting world. And I think part of that is you look at this from an agency's perspective; they think it's a slippery slope too. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. Obviously, we know some states have banned re- reaping and fanning, and you know some states have banned decoy use at certain times of the season or whatever. But I know there are a lot of agencies, and I know this because I know they're biologists. I know there are a lot of agencies that you know, they got to have data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they want they want data if they're going to tell somebody you can't do this. And getting the data to answer this type of question is tough. Yeah. So my that's where I was hoping you would go because my follow up question to that is that's definitely what you hear all of the pro fanning folks saying is there's no science there's no science and then you hear the the guys who are against fanning say things like, well, there also wasn't any science against punt guns. And, the, you know, they, so they're, everybody's mm-hmm. kind of lobbing out these arguments that are that are sort of jugular, sort of a nuclear option arguments. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, from a regulatory standpoint, you know, is this a is this a science question or is it a combination of science and anecdote and safety? Is there a – like, do you have an opinion about that? about how this just, you know, states ought to think about this topic? I kind of, you know, as a, as a scientist, if, if a state were to come to me and say, uh, Mike, we're going to fund a five-year study for you to answer this question. Um, and it doesn't matter what it costs. And we'll, you know, we, you give me the ideal scenario, and it's still going to be a tough sell to make it happen. Um, so as a scientist, I kind of look at it and go, this may be one we just don't, we don't get a, an unbiased Mm -hmm. black and white opinion. Yeah. Yeah. This may be a a shade of gray thing that, that unfortunately, you know, and there are other parts of the Turkey science world where that's, it's the same case. You know, Mm -hmm. we, it's just so hard to answer some of these questions that, that we just, we haven't thus mm-hmm. far more, um, more art than science. I mean, or more, you know, style and opinion has to come into play. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and as a, as a hunter, I kind of look at it and think, well, you know, okay. If an agency said 
um, we're concerned with our, our harvest and we're going, we want to, you know, we want to change, we're going to change something. And I've heard other people make this argument as well. You know, don't take opportunity from us, take technology from us. You know, don't take our, our, don't lower our bag limit and don't change our season dates. Just ban all these tools. Mm. And okay. Um, uh, that's, that's an opinion, but you know, you kind of look at it from the agency's perspective and if they don't have data telling them what percentage of birds are killed because of these techniques and they don't have data showing them that the rate of kill is, is different, they're left in a position where they're either going to follow opinion or cave to pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that happens in agencies. We know it happens. We know that political pressures change regulations all the time but agencies are reticent to do that and I I don't blame them I mean if you think about it if somebody were to come up to you and say I need you to change the way you behave and your your response was well why is it is it a problem I don't know but I think it could be well what would you how would you answer that? <laughs> I mean, I, my, sometimes would, my mom listens to this podcast, so I'll, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would tell you to shove it, you know, right, I, I right, mean, exactly. <laughs> give me some evidence that what I'm doing is problematic and I will change. But in the absence of that evidence, you know, you're asking me to do something because you disapprove of it or you don't think it's right. And mm-hmm. that's where we are with this debate. And, you know, again, I'll just say, I think it's unfortunate mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Dr. Chamberlain, is there any merit in potentially temporarily banning a practice to do the research to determine if it's an issue? Yeah, I mean, you could you could conceivably you could either change regulations. I, the what needs to happen, in my opinion, what what we really need to do is we need to go into unhunted populations, and and you may say, well, hell, there aren't any of those. Well, there are. Rios would be the prime subspecies to do this on because you can observe them. You can, they are so, if you've hunted Rios, you know this, they're easy to pattern. Once you identify the roost location, you can see them, you can watch them, you can follow them. Mm. Um, you can go, you know, I've, I've been on ranches in South Texas that aren't hunted at all. Mm-hmm. And the turkeys will let you observe them readily. Mm-hmm. They'll let you follow them around. What we need to do is we need to go into these populations that are behaving normally, and we need to introduce these things and monitor responses. That That's no different than the dominance question. If you really want to answer the question of uh, what happens after you remove a dominant bird, go remove a dominant bird and watch what happens. Mm-hmm. That's, what we, that's what we need to answer the, some of these, these questions, and... That's just tough to do. I mean, and, and as you know, you, well, in the science world, replication is what matters. It's one sample size replication. Mm-hmm. How many animals did you observe? How many times did you observe it? Well, you can't build a data set off of five observations or 10 observations and then go to a commission and say, see, here's your answer. I mean, I don't feel comfortable until recently. I didn't really feel comfortable with some of the data we had, say on nesting ecology or, and, and we had hundreds and hundreds of birds, you know, now we're, we're, we're sitting on a thousand nests 
And I feel very comfortable in, in articulating to people what causes nest loss and how successful are they because I have a data set that's larger than any other data sets ever been collected. Mm-hmm. It, to get that level of confidence takes time, and this question is, is just it's just tough to get at. But so that, that's what I think we need to do. I think we need to do experimentation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you talked about, it's been a year or so ago since you were you came on the podcast with us. Actually, it may have been two springs ago during COVID, I think, that you talked to us. And we asked a question that I thought was really fascinating. Your, your response to it was fascinating. Talk to us about this topic as if we were talking – we were just a blue-collar guy talking about his farm, a weekend warrior. Like, you know, we were talking about trapping, I think, back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what can you do to affect your local population? Mm-hmm. I mean, t- talk about this in terms of not so much about what should a state do, but, um, you know, if a guy that's listening to this has a 300-acre farm and he, and he tries to kill two off of it every year – sort of thing, but he's concerned about population decline and he's concerned about, you know, this debate and hadn't really settled out, like help him think through it in terms of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get this question a lot too from, from guys or or families that own small properties or relatively small properties. And, you know, a turkey's home range is thousands of acres. So if you own a few hundred acres, you're sharing your birds with a bunch of neighbors Mm -hmm. and, and when I start answering questions about harvest, the first thing I, there are two things I immediately ask people. One, what do your neighbors do? Mm. Um, I own 500 acres. We kill a couple birds each year. Our birds are disappearing. We're concerned about shooting the same number. What do I do? First question is, what are your neighbors doing? Uh, do they hunt? Do they kill birds too? How many birds do you think you have total? Do you see them in the winter? I start asking these questions about, and and often I will determine that um, in many scenarios, neighbors are also killing birds. Mm -hmm. In many scenarios, um, the the collective number of birds that are being killed from, say, your property and two neighbors' properties amounts to half or more of the toms that were present Hmm. in the winter. And the bottom line is that's not sustainable <laughs> unless you're producing a lot of turkeys. Mm-hmm. If your poult per hen ratios are four or five, which they are not anywhere, then you can sustain pretty high harvest because you're producing a lot of young birds. But in the absence of high production, the math doesn't add up. And the irony here is that there were researchers who are since deceased, George Wright, in Kentucky, he talked about this decades ago, that at some point we're going to shoot this bird out if we don't change the way we behave. That we're, we're basically going to have to recognize that at some point we're going to have to lay off the trigger because turkeys are not going to be doing as well as, as they're doing now. And, and George was prescient. He, he's since deceased, but he, he was spot on. He, he hit the nail on the head that we can't sustain those harvest rates that we that we saw decades ago. And so I tell people, you know what? If you think you have four, shoot one. If you think you have two, you know that's your Go call. Find another place to. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, and I've also been asked this too. And you know, well, can you just 
you know, what, what if you just kill them all, won't the Jakes take over? Well, no. One, they, they don't. And two, you know, the groups of Jakes that you're seeing now, you're not going to have all those birds next year. Mm-hmm. Those those Jakes are going to split. They're, you know, so if you got eight running around, for instance, you might have four of those next year. They're they're going to move. They they may not. They we see they don't move far. You know, but as they spread out and create dominance and all that kind of thing. Yep, yep. They're going to shift their space and and they may disappear from your land. So, you know, I'll I'll, I'll give you an example. So. I have access to 550 acres here in mm-hmm. Georgia, and I, I manage it with the help of the landowner as best that I can, and it is a beautiful property. It is, from a turkey's perspective, I mean, it's burned correctly. Uh, it, the, the nesting habitat is superb. There's excellent brood cover. I, I do it. I do it the best I can, and I've been doing that for 10 years, and I've never killed a turkey on it. And some of the years that I've hunted it, there, there have been birds on it. Some years there weren't enough birds for me to justify killing one of them because I knew, and I still know that, that I'm not, those are not my turkeys. The neighbors are killing some of those turkeys too. And so this year there were three toms out there and, and I never stepped foot on the property to hunt because I know that my neighbor to the east, I know he kills one every single year, and I'm sure he killed one, if not several, this year. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, I just, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's just my opinion. In scientifically, what's the ideally what's the percentage of harvest rate that is sustainable? Well, and there, there's the there's the loaded question. So. The recommendations generated from the 1990s, um, which many, many states and lots of hunters have latched on to, is 30%. So as long as you don't exceed 30% of your toms in a given year, it should be sustainable. And the reason I say that's a loaded question is that no longer applies to our world because those recommendations were generated based on data collected in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And production in that ten-year study was more than twice what we have in the southeast. So, in other words, they four? were producing. Yes, wow. they were producing more than twice the number of poults that we are. And if you look at the data from that from those projects and, and what went into the model that produced this thirty percent estimate, mm. the number of juvenile hens in the fall right, the number of jennies that were running around compared to the number of adults was three to one. Okay, so three juvenile hens for every adult, meaning mm-hmm. they were producing a lot of turkey. Mm-hmm. Our numbers across from East Texas all the way over to North Carolina, if you collectively look in most years, it's 0.3 to 0.5. Jennies to adults? Yes. Point three, not three. Wow. So we are producing dramatically fewer birds than we were back then. So it's logical to think, at least to me, is 30% is not sustainable Mm -hmm. with the production that we're seeing. It's Mm -hmm. some number less than that. What Mm -hmm. is it? I don't know. And I suspect it's highly variable across space, you know. 
in some areas you get these little local bumps in production, you get a lot of broods on the ground. Well, you know, maybe that two county area could sustain a little higher harvest. And then you go, you know, the next county over and, and things were rough this spring and summer or whatever. And, or you go from North Georgia to South Georgia and the hatch was good in one area and it was terrible in other areas. You know, there's no way to know what that number is mm-hmm. everywhere. So what I think the way we're going to have to look at it is what would be a conservative number? Right. What's Understanding, safe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's a, what's a safe number right. in most scenarios, understanding that that may not, some of us may not be happy with that number. Um, in other words, if, if the real number on, you know, state properties or, or the Piedmont of Georgia, if the real number is 15%, then how do we get there? Do we, how would we get to that rate? So in other words, this, so this, this year, for instance, uh, nesting is way behind on our study sites, all of them. Hmm. Um, birds are behind, breeding was behind, nesting was behind. And typically what you see in those years is poor production. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this year, things are not looking good, except in a couple pockets that we're working in. We lost 25% of our toms that we marked this winter that were shot this spring on one of these sites. So let's just assume that's the population. So we took out 25% of them. Um, if you take out 25% and the actual number you're supposed to take is 15, for instance, let's say that's the, the, the safe number. How do you get to that number? And that's where agencies struggle. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's where we start fighting with each other, you know, because the only way to get there is to change harvest. And how do you do that? Well, you change opportunity, you change bag limits, you, you, you implement quotas, you, you do these things that if you if you're paying attention, you're seeing a lot of states are already doing. They're they're already putting quotas on state lands. They're already changing bag limits. They're already changing seasons because they're realizing with their own data that harvest rates are higher than they should be, and they're trying to figure out ways to scale them back a little bit. And that's never popular with us, right? Right. I mean, right. right. Nobody and wants I get to be it. told shoot yeah, less. <laughs> exactly. Nobody wants to be told, well, you can't hunt as much as you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't want to be told that. Right, right. So there are so many things you've said that, like, my mind's spinning, and I'm going to think of 100 more questions. But I promised myself that the last question that I would ask you would be, if you had if, – if resources was not – financial resources was not an obstacle and time constraints and – whatever um, difficult tasks you have in the real world of college uh, life is, is we're not, you know, if you took all of your work obligations out and you had all the money in the world, how would you solve, how would you go about solving population decline? And I'm mostly asking you, a, I realize that's a scientific question in some extent, but I'm asking you a style opinion sort of a question about how would you go about it if you were king? Yeah, that's a tough question, but it. This is what I would. This is what I would say. Um, I'd say that there are some things that are that are just so far gone and out of our control that 
that I can't possibly change what's happened, but I can change what happens in the future. And one of those things would, would be we have to stop cutting hardwood forest. Oh, we, 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 we have to stop cutting hardwood forest. Um, this bird is inextricably linked to hardwood forest itself. Mm. Mm. And if we keep cutting hardwoods and replacing them with pine or replacing them with infrastructure or homes or whatever, we're doing nothing but things that detriment turkeys and many other species. That would be one. Quit cutting hardwood. Two um, would be, I think, we need to do a better job at prioritizing turkeys for private landowners. And if you told me, if you asked me, give me one thing that we could do that would change the scope forever, you give me enough money and I'll pay private landowners to manage for this bird because mm-hmm. most turkeys live on private land. Mm-hmm. And the future of the species rests on the shoulders of private landowners. Mm-hmm. And if turkeys are not priority, they're not going to be at the table. Um, how you do that, I don't know. But if I had enough resources, I'd figure out a way to, to incentivize to make, a landowner to yes. increase his, yeah. it, take care of his, his, his flock. Huh. Yeah. Are, yeah. Are there programs? Yeah, there are. There are cost share programs for NRCS. There, um, you know, I've I've had private landowners contact forestry commissions to get forest management plans, to get burn plans. You know, NRCS will work with you to do cost share programs to do all sorts of enhancements to your property, um, in almost every habitat type you can think of. And and these cost share programs are, are I mean, they most of them take our 50 50 or 75 25 cost share so they're shouldering a lot of the burden financially and mm. um you know i would so that that would be something i would target is if, if i were king would be i have to figure out a way to get the private landowner to care about the management of this bird and the habitats they use and they thrive in and the only way i'm going to ever be able to do that is to is to financially incentivize a landowner to do it because money talks and mm-hmm. that's just reality. Um, in, in in some far off universe where you're Oprah saying you get a grant for you know turkey enhancement and you get a grant like I'd like to live there. I want to be wherever <laughs> that is. Yeah, I I tell you what I I would I would love to. Um, so you know I get I I visit places every year and. And I'll be honest, I don't visit very many places at all anymore that I, when I get there, I go, damn, this is, this is nice. You know, this, this is turkey habitat. Mm-hmm. This is, this is it. Whether I'm in Texas or Florida or where, it doesn't matter. I've been so many places and I've seen so many places that turkey live. I don't go to many places anymore where I, I, where I stand there and go, now this, I don't even have to look. I know there's turkeys here and I know they're doing well because this is, this is it. Um, there's just so many issues facing mm-hmm. our landscapes today. And, um, but when I get done with this academic gig, which is not in the, so far in the future, honestly, that's where I, that's where I'm headed. 
um, I want to, I want to try to work with people and, and take what I know and what science has shown us about management for this bird. And I want to try to work with people to put it on their properties, mm-hmm. put it in practice. Yeah. 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 Because it's, that's the future of the bird is, is people that own land being willing to say, you know what, I'll, I'll put some skin in the game for this. Mm-hmm. That conversation has changed. I mean, I hear people trying to take a lot of personal responsibility for their own flock of turkeys. And, you know, it's, it's different than it was 20 years ago. Um, and, and so I, I agree. I mean, that, that if, if we're, if we're not trying to just doomsday everything, I do think that there's a positive lining in that, that people are being con- conscious of their own behavior. And which mm-hmm. is probably why the fanning debate is so intense is because, I mean, a lot of guys are actually thinking about what they're doing and they think yeah. they're doing right. You know, I mean, everybody, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 yeah. and, and then to, to your point about, you know, putting this into practice, man, I hope you get that opportunity, Mike, I, you, that would be very rewarding for the time you've spent in academic circles to, to really see that pay off. I, I really hope you genuinely, mm-hmm. I hope you get that opportunity. Well, I already do. I mean, I, I have a consulting business and I, but I, I have a really small number of clients and, and because I don't have time to work with yep. a lot of clients. And, but when this, when this gig is over and, you know, I move on to the next yep. phase of my life, then I'll have time. And, and I, and that's another way I can make a difference sure. because that's what it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's what I mean at the scale that, that you want to see it at. I, I, I hope that, I hope you really get to see that dream come true there. Me too. Well, Thank you for uh, your time, and I, I know it's valuable. Your opinions are very valuable, and uh, thanks for trying to be level-headed and share it with us. And um, yeah, we're we're just yeah. really indebted to your your efforts and studies. Yeah, it's not a problem. It's good to good to talk with you. Yeah. Well, man, have a great afternoon, and uh, if if you get any more turkey hunting in between now and summertime, good luck. <laughs> I'm I'm done. I'm done. I'm already. <laughs> My clothes are clean and in the closet. The vest is put up. The gun's clean, and I'm I've had I've had enough. I've, uh, time <laughs> oh, yeah. to time to do summer things. I hear you. I hear you. Well, best of luck with the rest of your semester and next fall, and uh, look forward to talking to you again very soon. Yep, y'all take care. All right, thanks, Mike. Yep, that was incredible. It really was, and I'm kind of sitting back a little humbled by the whole. I guess a little scared of the whole deal, man. <laughs> I, you know. Bit. I, I feel exactly the same way I felt when we talked to him about trapping. Mm-hmm. Cause I went into that conversation just thinking, man, my, you know, my 50 coons is going to just be the world changer. Yeah. And, and it's not that it's not the world changer. It's just that gosh, dang, the world's so much bigger than, than your block. And, and I, listen, I'm not at all saying that my mind has been changed on <laughs> how I personally feel about fanning, mm-hmm. but from a macroeconomic or macrobiologic or whatever the big picture word you want to use is, I mean, Mike's insight is so well thought out. I mean, I, I, it makes me wonder if there's any part of my life that I'm thinking about that clearly <laughs> and coherently. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things I guess I – I think we ended on that note, a little bit of note of hope of there are things you can do and mm-hmm. there are things that he intends to do on other properties in the future, but mm-hmm. – you know, Spence, what gives you hope for the future of turkeys? Mm, man, that's... There's got to be something. 
Um, I mean, hope. That's a that's a big word. What gives me hope? Um, this year I bought a farm and a small farm, and it's not huge. Um, but the thing about that that gives me hope is that regardless of what every other you know knucklehead in the world does to theirs, yeah, I have hope that I can create some sort of a sustainable population that my kids could hunt. Yeah. Unless somebody takes it from me, you know, sure. which I don't see happening. Yeah. Um, I have hope that I've got, you know, I, I look at, as I travel and I see the turkey population, I clearly see a decline, a huge decline, frankly. And I, this, I mean, I love killing turkeys. Okay. So I'm not, I, <laughs> no, this that part of me has not changed. Right, I like right. pulling the trigger more now than I did 25 years ago. I mean, I like watching that son of a gun die. Yeah. So what I'm about to say does not mean that I'm, you know, lost my edge, but, but I, there's this very bittersweet part of killing one. Now mm-hmm. I feel bad. Like I'm carrying around a guilt of like, gosh, I hope that wasn't, the dominant one or the one. Well, I don't even think about that as well as I should, but I just think, gosh, I hope that I haven't hurt mm-hmm. something. I hope I have, I like, I feel this sort of fragility of it. Yeah. And I, and I don't know whether that's appropriate or not. So all that being said, I, you know, I definitely think that the, that the public land resource has just been over pummeled, whether that's because of the YouTube crop or whether that's because of the COVID year. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Definitely seems like there's less on public than there used to be. And so as I think about the future, you asked what gives me hope. What gives me hope is that I've got a little piece of dirt that that hopefully, you know, maybe in 20 years when I have a grandkid, um, he may not be, he or she may not be able to kill five off of it. Yeah. But, man, if we could share one every spring, you know, that that's that gives me hope. Yeah. So. Um, Absolutely. You know, that's, I told Lindy the other day, we were talking about turkeys and the kids and um, I, it. At my point in life, I'm 40, I definitely have an odd feeling in my gut that things are changing. It's not the same way it was 20 years ago. Yeah. And maybe it'll, maybe, maybe it's a cycle, you know, maybe it's like Horseshoe Lake where it goes for five or 10 years and there's literally no water in the lake and everybody thinks the world's going to end, it's going to dry up and they're going to turn it into a playground. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it rains for three months straight. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe yeah. we're in a cycle. I, have, yeah. I don't know. Like a I'm natural certain, boom and bust yeah. of the turkey population. Like I, I'm no Mike, but I mean, in right. my lifetime, you know, when I started hunting in the late 80s, early 90s, there were not very many turkeys. And by the time it got to 2000, 2002, there were turkeys everywhere. Yeah. And now we're kind of back on a decline. And so I don't, I, I have no idea whether it's a cycle. But as I think about my children and I think about my future grandchildren, Trip's going to have kids but my daughters are not going to get married (laughs) i can't think about that Uh, oh man but as i think about that you know i I, there's this real bittersweet sort of now every time i kill one i just think gosh yeah you know is is are my grandkids going to be able to travel and do this are my kids going to be able you know i mean pennsylvania keelan and i just got back from hunting with jeff and hunter and they felt like last spring their population was down but man, it felt like it was really down this year. Like yeah. we, I mean, we don't get me wrong. We killed turkeys, so it's hard to say that to somebody because we filled our tags and had fantastic hunts. But I mean, anecdotally, driving around, hunters going, there should be three there, four there, two there, seven there. You know, yeah. And yeah. there's zero, 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 zero. One hen, two jakes, zero, zero, zero. 
two long beards, zero, zero. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Long That's... beard, three hint. You know what I mean? Like it, it didn't feel good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, the other thing I guess that would give me hope is that seeing through the uh, ferociousness of the debate, I do feel like in my heart that on both sides everybody cares about the resource. Yep. And that's a common, you know, I don't agree with Michael Waddell that we should all just get along and hold hands. The world is not all rainbows and unicorn farts, you know. Yeah. We need to disagree. It's very healthy for us to get our opinions out there on the table and yep. disagree about it. But the part that I do find some hope in is that I think more than ever, people are voicing their opinions because of, from a place of passion mm-hmm. as opposed to just a, you know, don't tread on me sort of thing. Cause, yeah. Because I... I don't know, I'll get in trouble for saying this, but the whole don't tread on me, you do you, I'll do me, you only live once, like I I, I don't resonate with that very well. You know, I mm-hmm. think that my actions have repercussions for not only my own life, but my spouse and my kids right. and my grandkids. It's like, not about just getting yours yeah, now yeah, and exactly. y'all figure like, it I, out that, for that's, yourselves later. That ain't, that ain't me. That's At least that's not how I want to be remembered and how I want to live my life. So that side of the argument I'm not okay with, but, um, you know, so I, I think, but but as far as hope goes, back to the word hope you asked, great question. Hope is in a little bit of dirt, and hope is in the fact that I do feel like everybody on just about every side of this is operating from a point of passion and not from a, you know, Papa didn't leave me any buffaloes, I'm not leaving any turkeys. You know, I, I don't yeah, I don't see yeah, that yeah. being the 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 driving force. You're not of the getting argument. a lukewarm feeling from anybody. Mm-mm. No, I feel and, like everybody means it. Yeah. You know? And I can deal with passion over ambivalence yep, any day. Exactly. And that, and somebody disagreeing with me. And mm-hmm. also, I think the importance of a public forum like this, mm-hmm. whereas in other conversations, I haven't felt like it has really been a conversation, mm-hmm. but this mm-hmm. actually feels like, because there's people on both sides of the fence that are asking questions of the other mm-hmm. side. Yep. And it's really making them think and go, mm-hmm. hmm, mm-hmm. hmm, I wonder... <laughs> Like maybe I shouldn't use a yeah. shutter decoy because that is a lot like a fan, and yeah. maybe I shouldn't do this. And yeah. so it is. It the questions are being asked, and if it ends up with more turkeys at the end, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. We're gonna, I guess, in closing, I just want to say that I'm gonna voice my opinion on this. Yeah, and I but I want to do it in a separate episode. Sure, I want to just let Mike have his yeah moment. And I've got, in fairness to the debate on both sides, I've got a handful of industry friends and and just regular guys yeah. who are on both sides of the fence and mm-hmm. and I want to get them to chime in and also you know put their opinion out there yeah. this um, isn't going to be a straw man kind c- of correct. conversation I, this exactly yeah. so um I I say that just because I've killed a bunch of them behind the fan and I got an opinion um and you know opinions are like armpits right everybody's got one and most of them stink and and <laughs> Mine's probably the same way. Um, but I do want to go on record as verbalizing my opinion at this yeah. point in the argument and kind of, and then also share how I'm behaving in light of my opinion. Yeah. Um, and, and also in light of my opinion has changed, you know, over time it's morphed. And it's so I just want to say that because I don't want someone to listen to this and then crucify us as a company for not taking a position here. We're definitely going to take a position, yeah. and, and I'm going to verbalize an opinion. I'm not a scientist. Yeah, 
not going to pretend to be. <laughs> but I, I, in fairness to Mike and his time and his studies, I, I wanted to give him the opportunity to speak to the issue. Have the floor so, right now, and right. the rest are coming, so just Correct. That's be patient, point. and That's we're going to roll them out. Right. We're going to roll out a handful of them. And um, we're going to try to not talk about fanning all summer long, but I'd like to do a little flurry of these. And at the end of the day, what I'd like to see is for people to make a heartfelt decision about how they behave that is rooted in passion and not, as you said, just, you know, lackadaisical, like, yeah, it was legal, blah, blah, blah. you know, like, like just think about, yeah, think about your behavior and that it affects more than you. That's really what I'd like to say. Yeah. Yeah. Really appreciate Dr. Chamberlain, yeah. man. I can't even imagine how many people are asking him for a podcast and feel very, he probably grants everyone a podcast and does the same level of, of quality work, but I in don't my doubt mind, I think that we get the best that we got the best <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that he gave us special consideration. So Man, there's that is I'm grateful. That's something that I really appreciate about him too, because I always feel like whether it was at the yep. Turkey Invitational or here, I mean whether, whether it's recorded or not, or whether it's the person who's just leaning up against a tree yep. talking to him somewhere. Yep. He's you're gonna get his best. Yeah, Mike so. is that is a very strong compliment you just paid him, and I'm going to flesh that one out just a touch more. He recognizes the power and the um, clout that he has. Yeah. He's got a self-awareness of that that is not arrogant. Mm-hmm. It's very candid and very direct, but it's also very gracious. Like, you you, you said that well, that he's, he takes the time to answer the question, and I genuinely believe he takes the time to answer people's questions and talk about this because he – is so passionate about the wild turkey, and yep. he thinks if I answer this question well, you know it. It yeah, be disingenuous if he didn't. And and well, he also he, gets you thinking. He doesn't necessarily tell you what to think, but yep. how to think about yep. it. And you're like, yep. oh, that's yep. that's a whole different ball of wax. That's right. So, all right. On that note, let's wrap her up. We'll wrap it up. Well, thanks for joining <laughs> us for another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Yep. We'll catch you the next time. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>